Welcome to Murder Minute. On today's episode, the Benny Evangelist family massacre. But first, your true crime headlines. A Kentucky woman was arrested at a Kroger supermarket in Louisville for violating her court-ordered quarantine, according to police. 37-year-old Kendra Burnett was court-ordered to self-quarantine after testing positive for coronavirus. She went shopping at Kroger in defiance of that court order, and surveillance video from inside the store shows her interacting with five store employees while she was inside. This is the third time that Burnett has violated the court's order to self-quarantine. She has been charged with five counts of first-degree wanton endangerment, one count of contempt of court, and one count of second-degree criminal mischief. A Galveston police officer was arrested three times in one week for repeatedly attempting to contact a woman he had been ordered to stay away from. 38-year-old Justin Popovich was indicted in January on domestic violence charges. He is accused of hitting a woman on two separate occasions in 2019. Popovich, a sergeant with the Galveston Police Department, was suspended with pay last October after the alleged incident and has been suspended without pay since his indictment in January. He was arrested again last week for entering the woman's home and for being in possession of two handguns in violation of the terms of his bond. He was released and then arrested again two days later on a warrant that had been previously issued for violating the conditions of his bond. After he was released, he attempted to contact the woman again. According to arrest records, He allegedly knocked on the victim's door at 2 a.m. and called her phone 21 times in 14 minutes. He was charged with stalking and is in custody, awaiting a bond hearing. A convicted felon was arrested on child pornography charges just hours after sharing sexually explicit images through a messaging app, according to police. According to charging documents, 35-year-old Justin Swift of Independence, Missouri, shared 11 images of child pornography with another person on Tuesday, April 28th, using the Kick message application on his phone. Police officers executed a search warrant at Swift's home later that same day. Swift, an unidentified woman, and four children, including the five-year-old victim, were present in the home. Officers seized Swift's phone, which contained numerous sexually explicit images of the young girl, including the photos that Swift had shared earlier that day. Swift was arrested and faces charges of producing child pornography and distributing child pornography over the internet. He is scheduled to appear in court early next week. Those are your true crime headlines. Up next, Benny Evangelist. But first, a quick break. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Something like a global pandemic, maybe? If you've been thinking about talking to someone, it's time to get BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. This is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done 
securely online. That's right, from the safety of quarantine. And you can start communicating in under 24 hours. There is a broad range of expertise available. The service is available for clients worldwide and you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to making great therapeutic matches, so they'll make it easy and free to change counselors if you need to. And it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. And BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Don't take my word for it. Visit their website and read the testimonials that are posted daily. Here's one from today about counselor Jenna Simpson. Jenna is outright incredible. I've been, quote, seeing her for about two months now, and I can't imagine having anyone else. She made me feel very comfortable right off the bat, and we got into a rhythm very quickly. Jenna's style is the perfect balance between friendly slash casual and someone you can 100% rely on and trust for real advice and feedback. Jenna makes me feel heard, understood, cared for, and validated. She's knowledgeable and has helped me tremendously in the short time I've known her. Can't say enough positive things about her. She's just the best. Check out the reviews yourself. Visit betterhelp.com slash murder minute. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P. And join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Murder Minute listeners get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash murderminute. What are you waiting for? Get better help. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash murderminute. Are you experiencing stress, anxiety? Do you have chronic pain or trouble sleeping? You're not alone. In fact, I'm experiencing all of those things. If you're searching for something that might help, I want to tell you about Feels. Feels is premium CBD delivered directly to your doorstep that helps you reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness naturally. And it's easy to take. Just place a few drops of Feels under your tongue and feel the difference within minutes. Finding your right dose is important and everyone's CBD dose is different. So leave room to experiment over the course of a week or so. You may need to take more or less to get the effects that you're after. So start small and work your way up. Before the stay-at-home order, I was taking the mildest dose of 40 milligrams a day for my chronic back pain. And on bad days, I might move that up to a medium dose of 80 milligrams. These days, I've increased that. To 160 milligrams because I need all the feels right now. Don't worry, feels works naturally to help you feel better. There's no high, no hangover, and no addiction. But if you're new to CBD and need a little guidance, feels has you covered with real human support. They'll answer all of your questions on their free CBD hotline. Join the feels community now and get feels delivered to your door every month. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel anytime. 
feels is helping me feel better every day. And it can help you too. Become a member today by joining feels.com slash mm and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash M-M to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Start feeling better. Go to feels.com slash M-M. Welcome back to Murder Minute. In 1904, 19-year-old Benjamino Evangelista and his older brother Antonio emigrated to the United States from Naples, Italy. The two young men had little education, but had skills in carpentry and construction, and like so many other young immigrants, traveled to America seeking a chance at a better life, and soon settled in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. In order to better fit into his new home, Benjamino Evangelista anglicized his name to Benny Evangelist. The Evangelist brothers did well in Philadelphia, but over the next few years, Benny told his brother that he began to receive visions from God. Dark visions, quite divergent from their Catholic upbringing. Benny decided to follow his visions and soon developed an interest in the occult. He also began to develop a side business, selling love potions, herbal remedies, and spiritual incantations. Benny's brother Antonio wanted nothing to do with it. The two had a falling out, and Benny Evangelist moved to York, Pennsylvania, and found work on the railroad. It was there in York that Benny formed a friendship with a fellow Italian immigrant, Aurelius Leon Angelino. Leon Angelino was 20 years older than Benny, but the two men bonded over their shared interest in the occult. Now in his early 30s, and with the support of his new friend, Benny began to form a small cult of followers, developing his own philosophies based on his supposed visions. When in May of 1919, events took a turn. Leon Angelino was jailed and transferred to the county asylum. Through the efforts of his wife, who needed her husband to support her and their four children, Angelino was released. But this would prove to be a terrible mistake. The very next day, while Mrs. Angelino prepared dinner in their Lancaster home, Leon took a club and tried to kill her. She fled into the yard with two of their four children. But Leon went into the room where their four-year-old twin sons were sleeping, lifted the club, and crushed their skulls. He then stripped nude, took the boys' bodies out into the yard, dismembered one, and was in the process of putting the body parts in a can when he was stopped by police before he could dismember the second. Leon Angelino was taken to the hospital for the criminally insane. When Benny Evangelist learned of his friend's horrific crime, 
he left York and relocated to Detroit, Michigan, where he once again found work as a carpenter and moved in with his brother, who lived in an Italian neighborhood with his wife and children. In the early 1920s, Benny settled down and found himself a wife, Santina, had his own children, and began working in real estate. But Benny Evangelist never gave up his side business or his pursuit of the occult. In fact, now his cult had a name, the Union Federation of America. He even authored his own Bible for it, a self-published work titled The Oldest History of the World Discovered by Occult Science. Evangelist's book described the early wanderings of a prophet named Mael, who spread God's word with the help of two disciples. Benny's Bible was a rewriting of the history of the world as described in Genesis and contained numerous references to the author's own divine mission and visions and began with a preface which read, My story is from my own views and signs that I see from 12 a.m. to 3 a.m. I began on February 7, 1906, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and it was completed on February 2, 1926, in the city of Detroit, County of Wayne, State of Michigan. On the new earth, the last one was created by God, the Father Celestial and the great prophet Mael. We call it today the Great Union Federation of America. I am with the power of God, and I respect this nation. In this book, I shall express all my views of the past twenty years. In this great continent, we are all the generations. Benny's Bible began with a description of God's creation, of the world, eternity, light, the sun, the moon, and the creation of the ruler that Benny Evangelist called Eldam, who, along with seven other commanders, united to rule Earth. Benny Evangelist's book was the first of what he intended to be a four-volume masterwork. By now, Benny was charging as much as $10 for his potions, equivalent to $129 today, two days' pay for most of the people who lived in Benny's neighborhood. He even carried business cards stating that he was a, quote, divine prophet, author, and private history writer. Between his work in real estate and his growing cult, Benny Evangelist soon earned enough money to move his family into a spacious greenhouse with a wide porch at 3587 St. Albans Street in Detroit. It was in the basement of that greenhouse on St. Albans that Benny would hold his cult meetings. The room was lined with light green cloth. At the center, strange idols decorated Evangelist's altar, alongside Catholic icons including a cross. In a window visible from the street, a large sign read, 
Great Celestial Planet Exhibition. The celestial planets were eight or ten crude wax and paper mache dolls and figures, hanging from wires over the elaborate altar at the center of the room. Among them was a large eye, electrically wired to light up. At 10:30 a.m. on July 3, 1929, a real estate agent named Vincent Elias came to the evangelist's home. He was there to close a deal with Benny for the purchase of a farm near Marine City, Michigan. As Mr. Elias approached, he noticed that the house was unusually quiet. When no one answered the front door. He assumed that Benny must be in his basement. The front door was unlocked, so Mr. Elias let himself in. There, in his office, was 43-year-old Benny Evangelist, sat at his desk with his arms across his chest and his head at his feet. Elias ran from the house and called for neighbors and police. When they arrived, police determined that Benny had been the first victim, and likely the intended target. Bloody footprints were tracked upstairs, where the bodies of Benny's wife, 40-year-old Santina Evangelist, and her four children were found in their bedclothes. Santina's head was almost decapitated. Their 18-month-old son lay in her arms, his head crushed. The three other children. Seven-year-old Angeline, five-year-old Margaret, and three-year-old Jean had their heads crushed in as well. One of them had a partially amputated arm at the shoulder, possibly from self-defense. Near his body in the office, police found a false beard and a wig, which investigators believed Benny Evangelist wore. While giving his readings, to add to the macabre scene, strewn across the floor, police found several pictures of a child laying in a coffin, which they later learned were of Benny's son, who had died several years before. But no one knew what this meant, aside from some bloody footprints and a single fingerprint found on a doorknob. No other meaningful clues. Were found. Hundreds of spectators gathered in front of the evangelist house to watch the bodies be carried out for transport to the morgue. And the press had a field day. On July 4th, the Detroit Free Press wrote of the items found in the murdered occultist's home. Several pieces of women's undergarments. Each tagged with the name of its owner, police point out, reveal that the so-called mystic indulged in practices of voodooism or devil worship. Such garments, voodooism has it, can lead to the finding of a missing person when they are properly handled by one versed in the mystic arts of that belief. Insofar as is known, nothing of any value, such as money, jewelry, or papers, was disturbed. Although Evangelist had the reputation of being a considerably well-to-do real estate operator among the Italian colony on the East Side, 
the police interviewed Benny's physician, Dr. Alf E. Thomas, who also lived on St. Auburn Street. Dr. Thomas told them that he considered Benny Evangelist to be completely insane and that Benny and Santina could not have been married for long because the three older children were hers from a previous marriage. The doctor said that Benny had talked of plans to make a motion picture describing the history of the world as laid out in his self-published Bible. Neighbors described Benny as a confirmed religious fanatic who was seen on more than one occasion outside of his home in the street waving his arms and shouting incantations at the sky. Some believed he was crazy, others that he was a con man. Perhaps Benny Evangelist was murdered by someone seeking revenge, someone who believed that he ripped them off, whether through the sale of a potion or through a real estate dispute. Benny's lawyer, Anthony Esperti, told detectives that while Evangelist had been involved in multiple lawsuits over real estate transactions, none of them rose to a level of grievance that could have caused the massacre of his entire family. Benny Evangelist had no criminal history, just one misdemeanor charge for improperly installed plumbing in one of his properties. Even his side business of selling potions and invocations was considered legal by city officials, so long as he, quote, didn't use drugs or prescribe medication. When detectives attempted to talk to some of Benny's customers, his followers became hard to find. Most of the community were recent immigrants who wanted nothing to do with the police. Investigators knew that Benny Evangelist had received hundreds of people for readings, but few were even willing to admit that they knew him. On July 6th, over 3,000 people showed up to the Evangelist family funeral. While a crowd of about 3,000 curious persons packed the streets here today, funeral services were held for Benny Evangelista, self-styled prophet, and his wife and four children, slain Wednesday by an axe murderer. The slayer indirectly added another victim today in the person of Mrs. Florence Morris, 36, mother of five children, who, brooding over the newspaper accounts of the crime and fearing for the safety of her own children, threw herself from a window of the 25th floor of the Barlam Tower. The Reading Eagle wrote, Patrolmen and detectives mingled with the throng at the funeral and made one arrest of a man who, acting queerly, excited suspicion. He was taken into custody for questioning, but police admitted that it was doubtful if he could have committed the axe murders himself. Still believing the secret of the crime lies in the strange religion and secret rites Evangelista and his followers espoused, police today were seeking members of the cult. None could be found who would admit membership. One of the few leads that the police found were several notes that Benny had kept in his home in which he was being threatened by the Black Hand, a mostly defunct mafia organization that 
preyed on wealthy Italian men. The most recent letter was only six months old and read, quote, this is your last chance. But the black hand theory led nowhere, as by 1929, the black hand was outdated. Benny, like police, would probably not have taken the threat seriously, correctly assuming that it was an amateur trying to scare him. The only credible suspects that the police could find were 42-year-old Umberto Tecchio and his friend Angelo De Poli. Tecchio had gone to the evangelist home the night before the bodies were found. He was there to make the final payment on a house that he had purchased from Benny. His friend Angelo had accompanied him. When a police search of their rooms found a keen-edged banana knife and a pair of work boots that had been washed suspiciously clean, they brought the two men in for questioning. Both men denied any involvement with the murder and claimed that after dropping off the final payment, they had gone out for a drink. But Tecchio was already known to the police. He had already escaped prosecution after stabbing his brother-in-law Bart to death in April. Tecchio claimed that it was self-defense, and since his brother-in-law had later died at the hospital, there was no one to contradict his version of events. With no physical evidence to connect them to the murder, police were once again forced to let Tecchio go. Over the next several months, the investigation grew cold as police failed to find any real clues. Hundreds of people were questioned. Several arrests were made, usually people living in the area who were known to have a history of mental illness. But they were all eventually released. Police even offered a $1,000 reward for information leading to an arrest. But still, there were no new leads. Tecchio was re-arrested for the murder in March of 1932, based on new evidence, and then freed a second time, when they verified that his fingerprint did not match the one lifted from the murder scene. Tecchio died in November of 1934. His wife, who divorced him after he killed her brother, told police that Benny Evangelist had two machetes hanging over his altar, one which was not found and was believed to be the murder weapon. Then, a newspaper boy came forward and said that while he was delivering papers that morning, he had seen Tecchio on the porch of the evangelist home at around 5 a.m. after the murders. Neighbors who lived in the same boarding home as Tecchio at the time said that they were not sure if he had left again later that night. Allegedly, none of these new witnesses had dared to come forward while Tecchio was still alive. The police again attempted to pin the murder posthumously on Tecchio in August of 1935. But when the fingerprint taken at the crime scene was sent to another police department for comparison against Tecchio's, police were disappointed when the results confirmed that it was not a match. And the case 
remained unsolved. The most likely suspect for the Evangelist family massacre was Benny's old friend, Aurelius Leon Angelino. In 1923, Angelino escaped from the Pennsylvania prison for the criminally insane, where he was incarcerated, and was never seen or heard from again. Perhaps Leon made his way to Detroit, hoping to rekindle their friendship and partnership, only to be rejected by the now successful Benny Evangelist. Perhaps it was Leon Angelino who wrote the Black Hand letters, attempting to extort Benny, and was ignored. Whatever the motive, the striking resemblance that the murders of the Evangelist family bore to the crime that Angelino committed back in York did not go unnoticed. About a year after the murder, a comparison was made between the fingerprint at the Evangelist crime scene and those taken from the Angelino household when his sons were killed, and they appeared to match. In the 1940s, the Evangelist home on St. Auburn Street was demolished after no one would buy it. But the neighbors say they can still see Benny Evangelist outside causing a scene walking headless through the now vacant lot. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute. To read Benny Evangelist's Bible, find Murder Minute on Facebook.